Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. Home Alone 1 was a big hit when it came out on video while I was working at Suncoast Video. For those not familiar, Suncoast was a video store located in malls that didn't rent videos, it just sold them. And I worked there for many years. Now we knew Home Alone 1 was a big hit. So when Home Alone 2 came out in theaters, we knew eventually it was gonna come out on VHS and that it was probably going to be a equally big hit. What we didn't realize is just how much of a bigger hit it was going to be, especially at our store. And while the video would sell really well, it was the merchandise that really became a phenomenon at, I think, every location that sold that merchandise. And there was a host of merchandise that you could get, but specifically, the big hit toy that came out of Home Alone 2 was the Talk Boy. The Talkboy features in the film. It is a handheld cassette recorder and player, has a fun built-in microphone. In the movie, it had variable speed for the audio so that you could slow it down and speed it up to make your voice sound different. All the kids had seen Home Alone when it came out in the theaters, and the toy itself had been released at the time, but it wasn't the big hit it would be once this thing came out on home video. And almost everyone at my store was unprepared for this phenomenon, except for one person. That was a coworker I had who, when these Home Alone talk boys came out, was very interested in them. Interested in them enough to buy many of them himself using his discount. This would become very controversial at our store, because as the movie became more popular and parents wanted to get this talk boy for their kids, we would sell out immediately. But this co-worker kept buying them as soon as he could, to the point where eventually the manager said, we can't sell these to you anymore because the customers want them. I was young, so I didn't know what was going on. I would later find out after this person was let go that they had been buying the talk boys, telling customers that they could get them one at an inflated price if they met them in the parking lot in like an hour. So during their lunchtime, they would go out to their car and in their trunk, they had these talkboys that they would sell to customers who were trying to buy them at Suncoast. Eventually, one of those customers would complain to our manager, and then the manager would complain to the regional manager, and eventually, this whole thing blew up, and the person was let go. From that point on, almost all of our purchases were scrutinized because of this one person who was manipulating the system to make some extra money around the holidays. Because I've heard from people about how popular the Talkboy was for them growing up. I wonder how widespread this practice was. I mean, you have a item that there's not a lot of them and a massive demand. Then you have people on the inside who can make a few extra bucks. I'm sure it happened more often than I even realize. Home Alone 2 was a phenomenon. And so on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about this film. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about its production, its release on home video, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
So before I start talking about Home Alone, I want to mention that this is a companion episode to the Home Alone podcast that I did. So if you have not listened to the Home Alone podcast, please do. There's some information that I'm not going to repeat in this one because the casts and people behind the scenes are very similar. So if you want information on some of those people, please check out the Home Alone podcast. Now let's get to the show. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, is a 1992 Christmas comedy. It was directed by Christopher Columbus and produced and written by John Hughes. It is a sequel to the 1990 film Home Alone. It would be the second in a franchise that would stretch out further than you probably even realize. Now I'm going to jump right in with the plot of the film. It is similar to the plot of Home Alone 1. In it, the McAllister family is again preparing for Christmas. This time, they're going to spend Christmas in Miami. Kevin, the protagonist of Home Alone, doesn't really like the idea of Christmas in a tropical climate. He thinks Miami, not so much for Christmas. He likes snow. He likes the pine tree over the palm tree. We can kind of see what's going to unfold here. We get a lot of the shenanigans we saw in the first one with family members making his life miserable. His older brother, Buzz, pranks him during a school Christmas pageant. Buzz, of course, gets away with everything. Kevin, not so much. He storms off to the attic again, thinking he wishes he could spend his vacation alone again. They oversleep. This family really needs some better clocks, maybe something with batteries in it, maybe a wake-up service. But they are trying to be very sure that Kevin is with them because they're not going to have a repeat of what happened before. At the airport, Kevin gets separated from his family because he's trying to find batteries for his talk boy that are in his father Peter's bag. And he follows a man who has a similar outfit to his dad and gets on a flight to New York City as opposed to Miami. While there, he encounters the wet bandits again who've just broken out of prison, if you wouldn't believe it. He also decides he is going to live it up while he's there. He has his dad's credit card. He is going to use the talk boy to sound like an adult by manipulating the sound of his own voice and check into the Plaza Hotel. The wet bandits are going to rob a toy store that Kevin really takes a shine to, run by Mr. Duncan. Along the way, we meet some crazy characters who work at the hotel, led by the great actor Tim Curry. The family gets to Florida. Of course, they realize Kevin is missing. They need to find him. Kevin meets this pigeon lady in New York City, so a strange, mysterious figure. Who is she good? Is she bad? Of course, she's going to be good. The wet bandits are going to rob Mr. Duncan's toy store. Kevin realizes it and decides he's going to set traps for the wet bandits again at the townhouse of his uncle that's currently under construction. He messes up the wet bandits' burglary of the toy shop. They chase him to this house, and it's a house of horrors for them again, filled with all his traps. It looks like he's going to get caught, but then the pigeon lady comes, saves his life. Very similar to the first film. The family finally finds him. And they're not sure how they're going to celebrate Christmas in New York, but Mr. Duncan is so happy about the robbery being foiled, and Kevin, of course, writing a note, that he sends a truckload of gifts to the McAllister's hotel room, and everyone is happy. The film would be directed by Chris Columbus, who returned after directing the first film. Columbus actually wanted to film Home Alone 2 and 3 at the same time, realizing that Macaulay Culkin was not getting any younger. Fox, for some reason, didn't think this was a good idea. They didn't want to invest that much 
in the film. So when it was time to make Home Alone 3, Macaulay Culkin was too old looking, and they would go with a new cast, and it did not do as well. Some might even say it flopped. Legendary 80s writer, producer, director John Hughes would return by February 1991. He had signed a six-picture deal with 20th Century Fox. And of course, Home Alone 2, after the success of Home Alone 1, seemed natural. And he wanted to take it seriously, so he would write multiple drafts of this film, trying to come up with what he thought would be the right choice, eventually deciding on New York, because it's a big city, lots going on. As he said, the kid can get in lots of trouble. Well said. The working title for the film was actually Alone Again. Chris Columbus, though, did not like that. He didn't want people thinking it was a remake, so it was he who changed the name to Home Alone 2. So people knew it was a sequel and not a remake. In fact, during production, they would actually remove some scenes that they thought were too similar to the first one, not just kind of callbacks, but ones where people would say, wait, are you just remaking this film? Now, you might be surprised that people would jump to that conclusion that it's a remake so soon after the original and not a sequel, but people really jump to conclusions about things when they see one little bit of information. They will extrapolate and think, oh, this must just be a remake, but in New York, the New York Home Alone, as opposed to the Chicago Home Alone. It was not. America's smallest hero is lost in America's biggest city. Can I help you? Reservation for McAllister? Is it New York? Hiya, pal. Oops. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. What kind of idiots do you have working here? The finest in New York. Rated PG. Now playing at theaters everywhere. So most of the cast from the original would return to the film. The big heavy hitters are in the film. Macaulay Culkin is back as Kevin. Joe Pesci as Harry. Daniel Stern as Marv. Those are the two thieves, the wet bandits. You also had Catherine O'Hara as Kate, Kevin's mom, and John Hurd as Peter, Kevin's dad. I read an interesting article about O'Hara coming back to do Home Alone 2 after seeing Home Alone 1 thinking that her character did not come across as concerned enough about her kid. And so she insisted that extra scenes be added to show her concern for Kevin being missing, more fretting, more concern that she might lose him. Those were things that O'Hara had pushed. This is not unprecedented in a film, not even in a John Hughes film. In Sixteen Candles, the parents of Sam, the main character in the film, the actors who played them, pushed for the characters to be better parents and make them more likable. In the end, that's usually a pretty good decision. In a light comedy, you don't want to be calling into question people's parenting skills too much. While the main cast would return, they did add some really great people for the film. You had Tim Curry playing the concierge, who, while it's not credited in the film, is named Mr. Hector. He's suspicious of Kevin throughout the film, thinks it's weird that a child is alone at the Plaza Hotel, and he tries to find out what's really going on with comic consequences. Timothy James Curry was born in 1946. He's a singer and actor, probably best known for his work as Dr. Frankenfurter in the cult film classic The Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975, which is a role he would reprise from the stage version that he participated in. He would then go on to work in other 
musicals and films. Some real great stuff include his work in Annie, Clue, Pennywise in the miniseries It, Long John Silver in Muppet Treasure Island, and the list goes on and on. Very talented, very interesting character actor, really a lot of fun to watch. Brenda Fricker would play the Pigeon Lady. She's unnamed in the film, but in a original draft from the film, we learn that her name is Annie, which would have been revealed in a scene that we don't get to see. She seems a pretty obvious reference to the Bird Woman from Mary Poppins, Feed to the Birds, Toughens a Bag. I don't know if you've ever seen Mary Poppins. You should if you haven't. It's a very melancholy song. It used to haunt me as a kid. Now, her name is Annie. She's in New York. I often wonder, is this supposed to be Annie from Annie? Hard Knock Life Annie? All grown up, living on the streets now after Daddy Warbucks is long gone? Probably not, but it's an interesting choice for a name. She takes the Marley role from the first movie, where you have a mysterious dark stranger and you're not sure what their motivation is. But in the end, it turns out they're a really good person and they come to the rescue of the main character. Brenda Fricker is an Irish actress born in 1945. She has worked for decades, appearing in more than 30 films and television roles. She made history in 1990, being the first Irish actress to win an Academy Award for the film My Left Foot. But she would also appear in a lot of other great movies. One of my favorite roles of hers was in So I Married an Axe Murderer in 1993, where she plays the mother. She is silly and funny, always makes me laugh. Film legend Eddie Bracken would play Mr. Duncan, the owner of Duncan's Toy Chest. Edward Vincent Bracken was born in 1915. He passed away in 2002. Early Hollywood actor came to prominence in the 40s in films like Hail the Conquering Hero and The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. He would continue to work, and people in the 90s would probably recognize some of his work in films like National Lampoon's Vacation, where he played Roy Wally, the film Oscar, Rookie of the Year, and Baby's Day Out. Dana Ivey played the desk clerk, who is credited as the desk clerk, but whose name is actually Hester Stone. Dana Robbins Ivey was born in 1941, a tremendous character actor. She's a five-time Tony Award nominee who has worked in TV and film. You might recognize her for her work in The Color Purple, The Addams Family, Rush Hour 3, and The Help, amongst many others. Rob Schneider played Cedric, who is the bellhop at the Plaza Hotel. Robert Michael Schneider was born in 1963. He's a comedian, actor, got his start on Saturday Night Live, best known for films like Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, and Big Stan. Now, the film also had some cameos in it, quite a few of them. They have a great game show scene that brings in some fun game show appearances. But a person who would appear in this film was Donald Trump, the former president of the United States. Chris Columbus, in an interview, wasn't very happy having Trump on the set because he wanted a cameo in the film as part of the deal for being shot at the Plaza Hotel, which Trump owned at the time. When the film was shown at the time during test screenings, people saw Trump and they cheered. They loved the cameo. So he thought, all right, maybe this guy's a little pushy, but the audience seems to like him. And when he became president, people loved to point out this movie and his appearance in it. There are other cameos. Ali Sheedy is in the film in a very small cameo. A nice nod to some of John Hughes' other work, namely The Breakfast Club, where she played Allison. There was almost a John Candy cameo in the film. There were negotiations to bring him back to be in the film, but those would fall apart. And another film that Hughes was doing that Candy was supposed to be in also, that negotiation fell apart. It seems that Hughes and Candy 
were drifting apart. And as you might guess, that wasn't something John Candy was pushing. John Hughes stopped returning his calls, and it upset John Candy. And while John Candy would find further success, say in 1993's Cool Runnings, he would never work with John Hughes again. And they never had a reconciliation, because in 1994, John Candy passed away at 42. Sad that the two who created such great things together just couldn't find a way to reconcile whatever it was that drove them apart. Shooting of the film would take place from December 9th, 1991 to May 1st, 1992. It's 144 days of production. It would be shot in multiple locations as well as on a set. It would be shot in Winnetka, Illinois, Evanston, Illinois, O'Hare International Airport, Chicago, and New York City. This would be a good payday for Culkin, way overdue from his Home Alone 1 days where he got paid only $110,000 for that film. In this one, he would be paid $4.5 million plus 5% of the film's gross, so a much better deal for him as the star of this film and really the one who carries the film. The city of New York would be a character unto itself, as would the Plaza Hotel and other locations that they shot at, the Duncan's Toy Chest toy store, which is not real, doesn't really exist, was modeled after FAO Schwartz in New York, which is not very far from the Plaza Hotel. The Plaza Hotel would actually do a Home Alone experience if you booked a stay there. And I think that included a ice cream cart Sunday service, a limousine that would take you to filming locations. That would include FAO Schwartz as a stand-in for Duncan's Toy Chest, all that fun stuff. If you look on YouTube, there are videos of people having their own Home Alone experiences, also visiting a lot of the locations. It's a lot of fun. Hi, I'm here at Hardy's to tell you how you can get an exciting Home Alone 2 poster. We're all from the movie. You know, where Kevin gets lost in New York and has to outsmart the burglars. There's an easy way to get these posters. Just purchase a large sandwich, large fries, and a large soft drink, which comes in a Home Alone 2 collector cup, and you get a poster free. So hurry into Hardy's. Free Home Alone 2 posters only at Hardy's. Music in the film was provided, again, like in the first one, by John Williams. Two soundtracks of the film would be released, one featuring the music of John Williams, and another having Christmas songs that are featured in the film. This film would not have to grow with word of mouth like the first one would. It would open in 2,222 theaters and make $31.1 million in its opening. It started off better than Home Alone, grossing $100 million in 24 days. The original took 33 days, but the final box office was lower than the original, with $173.6 million in the U.S., and a worldwide total of $359 million compared to the $476 million for the first film. So the first film still a bigger hit than the second one, and arguably the first one is a better film, although the second one is still a lot of fun. It's actually kind of amazing how similar the films are, and yet could still be entertaining. Okay, so what else was out when Home Alone came out? I printed out the local paper schedule for my area. Again, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I had two theaters in my town, a 8-plex and a 6-plex. And Home Alone 2 was playing at the 8-plex in two theaters, along with Under Siege, Love Potion Number 9, Consenting Adults, The Mighty Ducks, Candyman, Traces of Red, and Jennifer 8. At the 6-plex, you had two theaters playing Passenger 57, two theaters playing Malcolm X, and two theaters playing Dracula. Hmm. So only three 
movies being shown at the sixplex, taking up two theaters. Interesting. Now let me turn the page here. And so let's look at the advertising here. They had Home Alone 2 is by far the biggest advertising we have. But Aladdin has a giant special encore sneak preview this Sunday afternoon. So there's a big Aladdin ad also here. A great looking ad. Ooh, Singles was still playing at the Discount Theater with Rocky Horror Picture Show showing at midnight. This is pretty good. So you could go to this theater and the seats are $1.25. I've been to this theater. It was pretty rough shape. But you could see Singles and then you could see the film Sneakers, which is a bit of an underrated classic. And then for midnight showing, you could see the Rocky Horror Picture Show for five bucks. So that's pretty good. And then probably the third biggest is Malcolm X gets a nice call out. Giant X on the page really captures your attention and very positive reviews from just about everybody. I've never seen Traces of Red. It's a James Belushi film with Lorraine Bracco, an entertaining and tricky whodunit. Huh, I've never seen that film. So I printed this out. They did this thing called video tracks where they would talk about videos you could rent or buy. You know, this is 92, and video culture was pretty established. They had written a piece about what movies also had great kid actors in it leading up to the first Home Alone, what you should see. And so they made this whole checklist, basically, of things you should see, starting with The Kid in 1921, the Charlie Chaplin film that has Jackie Coogan in it, Bright Eyes, which starred Shirley Temple, Jackie Cooper in Treasure Island in 1934, Freddie Bartholomew in 1934's David Copperfield, Bonita Granville's turn in the 1936 These Three, never have seen that, How Green Was My Valley with a young Roddy McDowell, good film, Meet Me in St. Louis from 1944 with Margaret O'Brien, National Velvet, it's a pretty popular one with Elizabeth Taylor from 1944, 1945's A Tree Grows in Brooklyn with Peggy Ann Garner, Natalie Wood in 1947's Miracle on 34th Street, another great holiday film. 1948's The Boy with Green Hair with Dean Stockwell. Bobby Driscoll in The Window in 1949. Patty Duke in The Miracle Worker in 1962. And then Tatum O'Neill in 1973's Paper Moon. Then they jumped to Home Alone in 1990, as if nothing from 73 to 90 had a kid in it. Could have just stuck with Tatum O'Neill and put the Bad News Bears in there. It's kind of interesting to see them embracing video, but put that down for now. So the film would do well enough that it would spawn some sequels. Some you might have seen, some you haven't. Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, Home Alone, The Holiday Heist, and Home Sweet Home Alone. None of them are quite as good as the first two films. They kind of get worse in decreasing order as you watch them, but there's still some funny gags in them, so might be worth checking out if you're a really big Home Alone fan and just need something more. The film would get released on video and Laserdisc on July 27th, 1993. It would be popular when it was released, but it was around Christmas when things really got crazy in 1993. It would later be released on DVD in October of 1999. Then in 2009, it would get a Blu-ray release. Then in 2015, it would get a special franchise film release, the 25th anniversary edition, which would get a DVD and Blu-ray release. When I watch this film now, I have to wonder, was it profitable before it was even released? Because there's so much product placement in the film. It's very obvious. You have Coca-Cola 
Whereas in the first film, it seemed like Pepsi was the sponsor. Hardee's, Jack in the Box, Roy Rogers all get in on it. But my favorite has to be the product placement of American Airlines. And I think other people have made fun of this because American Airlines is prominent in the film. And yet American Airlines comes across a little bit incompetent in the film. It is not just the McAllisters who lose Kevin, but it's kind of the employees at American Airlines who assure them that they got this. Don't you worry. Your kids will all be fine. And then they check Kevin into a completely different plane. But I like American Airlines' attitude. Yeah, we know. We lose kids, but you're still going to fly us. They even put a commercial on the VHS release. American Airlines is proud to be a partner in the video release of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. American salutes the many families who have made American Airlines something special in the air. While the first film was prepared with merchandise. They really prepared for the second one, not just in terms of toys, but board games, puzzles, lunch boxes, and of course, the talk boy. The talk boy that was used in the film actually didn't do anything. It was just a prop, and I think Macaulay Culkin would get to take it with him, even though it didn't work. Tiger Electronics would build a talk boy specifically based around the way the one would look in the film. It would release two versions, a 1992 version and a 1993 version. The variable speed control that is featured in the film that allows you to change your voice, that wouldn't be in the original one. I guess they were kind of rushing it out the door or something. The 1992 version wasn't a big seller when the film came out, but when they released the deluxe model that had the voice changing feature, and then it came out on home video, they did cross promotions and commercials, interest in the toy soared, and they really underestimated demand. It would be sold at 11 retailers, FAO Schwartz, Fingerhut, Hills, Caldor, KB Toys, Musicland, which Suncoast was a part of, Kmart, Service Merchandise, Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us. It would retail for about $30, and they couldn't keep them on shelves during that Christmas season. Because it was so successful, Tiger thought, well, they have a long-term hit on their hands, and so they would release other talk boys, and those would sell pretty well over time. They would eventually have solid-state storage and sound effects, all these kind of cool add-ons. And while those would be popular, selling lots of units, it was nothing like the original. Still, a great toy line, and the originals are very collectible nowadays. You can have lots of high-tech fun with Tiger's Talkboy tape recorder. Hey, stop drooling on me! Hey, stop drooling on me! It even has speed control. Hi, kids. We're home early. Hi, kids. We're home early. Tiger's Talkboy tape recorder comes with audio cassette. Batteries not included. When people would come in looking for Home Alone merchandise, they were often sent to get something, namely the Talkboy or the video, and we would be sold out. But we often had these turtle doves. So in the film, Macaulay Culkin's character, Kevin, goes to Duncan's toy chest, and he gives money to Duncan for this charity. And Mr. Duncan says, why don't you take an ornament from the tree as a gift? And Kevin can't decide which one. 
And then you get this wonderful moment of product synergy where Duncan says, how about these turtle doves? You can have two. Kevin's like, wow, I can have two. This is great. He goes, you give one to a friend and you keep one for yourself. These were available for sale and we had them at Suncoast. And they were sort of a consolation gift that when people had run out of everything else that they were supposed to get, they would be like, okay, I guess I'll pick up the turtle doves. I need something from home alone to bring home. Now, if they were smart, they would have picked up what would become a really big collectible, which was Monster Sap, which was the liquid foam soap that Kevin buys at Duncan's Toy Chest. It is not a real product, just like the Talkboy. It was built by the prop department, sort of like crazy foam soap. Tiger Electronics would sell Monster Sap in very small quantities. The bottles look like the ones in the movie. They would sell them until 1993 and have become very collectible. So if you have yourself some Monster Sap at home, you might want to put it in a safer place or explore sending it to me for safekeeping. So much like the first film, they would make multiple video games, and you would see these on personal computers and consoles like the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Super NES, the Game Boy, the Sega Genesis. They also did a handheld game by Tiger Electronics. Unfortunately, it is not a very well-received game. You can watch some footage online, you can pick up the game, or even emulate it. The idea is good. You're in New York City, you got to make your way around, visiting locations from the film and picking things up as you go along. Avoiding enemies sounds like a great idea, but it just doesn't work. So not the best game in the world. The film would get two novelizations, one by Todd Strasser, which was published by Scholastic, and another by A.L. Singer. There would also be an audiobook that was released and read by Tim Curry, who played the concierge in the film. This version of it is on YouTube, so if you want to listen to Tim Curry reading the Home Alone 2 novelization by Todd Strasser, it is pretty great. He does a good job. You can kind of tell where Tim Curry was in his career on the J card for the audio cassette. It says, Tim Curry has been nominated for a Tony Award, appeared regularly in Wise Guy, and he has been featured in such films as The Hunt for Red October, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Pretty great if you're a Home Alone fan and you don't want to read. You can have Tim Curry read it for you. If you want to read it yourself, though, the Internet Archive does have a copy where you could check it out for an hour at a time. It's about 250 pages and a very fast read, so you could probably get through it if you want to read it on your screen. Of course, you could always go and just buy a copy of the novelization. It is not particularly rare or expensive. You can get a copy for about $4, so pretty easy to get. On a cold, dark Illinois night, a police car stopped at a railroad crossing. In the back of the patrol car, Marv Merchant's head throbbed. Next to him, his partner Harry Lyme stared angrily ahead. All Marv could think about was that blonde-haired McAllister kid grinning and waving. Home Alone 2 is a solid sequel. It's perhaps a little derivative of the first film, but that's exactly what everyone wanted. And while it didn't perform as well as the first one, it did make a lot of money and it made a lot of people very happy. It also sold a lot of talk boys. So if you're looking for something fun to watch, maybe a companion to the original Home Alone, might I suggest Home Alone 2. It's still got the great charisma of Macaulay Culkin, but now you've added some other great character actors, namely Tim Curry. And there are great moments in this film that in some ways exceed the first one, which in my book makes it just about equal to the original.
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. Recently, I started to post on Mastodon. If you are using Mastodon, you can find me at retroist at mastodon.social. Music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, an easy way to do that is to give it a 5-star review wherever you download the show. It's really the 5-star reviews that help people find the show. So if you have time, I'd really appreciate you doing that. If you want to support the show further, The Retroist is on Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the greatest retro community on Discord. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Two scoops, sir. Two, make it three. I'm not driving. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.